0: Welcome to the AHA! Process webinar podcast series. In this installment, Nancy Varian talks about forming partnerships that matter in post-secondary education. Nancy is the director of the Center for Professional Development at Malone University, where she is also an assistant professor of education.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, Happy to be here with you and um, excited about sharing some of the things that, that we're doing Um, I want to just give you a little background to why this is such a a high interest for me. Um, I uh, have been involved in both higher ed and um, K-12 school districts. I started uh, many years ago uh, in Mississippi where I started teaching, and I found uh, very quickly that I wasn't really equipped to do the things that I needed to do to help the children. Uh, All of my children were on free lunch. and came from some pretty severe poverty situations, and uh, after teaching a couple of years, I had the opportunity to travel to Sri Lanka, and I saw sort of a different kind of poverty. It was, um, most everyone was pretty much on the same plane, opposed to my children in Mississippi, who could look across the railroad tracks and see a very different life. And so, again, as an educator, I just thought, there's, there's got to be a way that I can help make a difference and really get more involved in in the lives of these children. And when I was introduced uh, to Ruby Payne's work and getting to see her speak, I just got very excited because that was kind of the beginning of of this interest in how can we we help and how can we partner. I just felt that the partnering was such an important piece of this. And so that is why it is something that I have really become very interested in and excited about and, uh, but just, you know, very quickly, a little historic perspective. I know when I started in the public ed sector, it seemed like the universities and the K-12 schools were sort of, there was sort of a disconnect. It seemed like the universities were kind of the ivory tower and the, univ- the uh, K-12 schools were sort of in the trenches. And they didn't seem to, uh, to connect and they didn't seem to coordinate or partner like uh, we know that now that they can, and also the fact that um, we realize that we're all here for the same reason. You know, universities are trying to prepare people for life, uh, for community life, for school life, for whatever area that they're going into. And we know that um, the public schools are preparing children as well. And we often realize that at the university level, because there's so much research going on and so many things, it's an opportunity for um, the universities to help public ed, and the public ed to provide um, places for them to to work on the research and to to work together. And there's a mutual interest. We all are there for the same reason, to to build leaders and to give young people the best education they can at whatever level that they will uh, be at at the time. So, I think because of our times, We've realized that it's so important for us to be a community working together for the good of all, and the P16 initiatives and professional development schools have become very important as a vehicle for making this change happen. Uh, some of the the, goal, the shared goals, which many of you, I'm sure, are aware of, we also we want to improve student learning, and those of you that are in the The uh, PK-12 area, you know that there's a lot of accountability, there's a lot of things that have changed drastically over the last few years. And I know from working with student teachers and being in the schools all the time, it's a very stressful time right now. Change is difficult. But uh, it's it's something that that we have to do, and working together makes it a little bit easier. We want to strengthen our teacher education at the higher ed level. Uh, I think sometimes, unfortunately, or fortunately, um, sometimes people that are teaching teacher education at the, at the higher ed level haven't been in the schools for some time. Some of them are career college higher ed people. And so, again, they don't always understand some of the, um, some of the situations and challenges that are going on. So, again, having that opportunity to work together is extremely important. And promoting professional development for the public schools and university, there's wonderful ways that you can share and we can work together at that level. And just to strengthen what I mentioned before, the research and inquiry, being able to work as a team. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to share with you some of the things that we have done and have found successful. And to do that, it give you a little idea of who we are and where we are. You can see on the map there, we're kind of in the northeastern part of Ohio, Canton. We're probably known best for the Football Hall of Fame, and because of our Football Hall of Fame connection, um, football and sports are very important in our community. Um, Malone University is a small, um, about 2,500 students at our university, kind of in the heart of the the Canton area. And so we really have the opportunity to get involved. But If you're familiar at all with Ohio, I see most of you are not from Ohio, but um, we, I was just stunned several years ago, and this is actually from 2008, when one of our local papers talked about the poverty in, in our area, and it's worst among Ohio's biggest cities, and I was stunned that... I would have thought, oh, Cleveland or Youngstown or Cincinnati or Columbus, some of the big cities, but we were at the top. And that was very disturbing, and I think it was for a lot of the people in our community. We're proud of our community, and we wanted to be the best. And even though that was 2000, 2008, this article came out just last year, a Living in Poverty, Starks Poor, Still Searching for a Way Out, uh, so we still have this problem. And so we're trying to work together to partner and to make things better for everyone in the community. And a little, some statistics about our county, 17.3 of our Starks population are food insecure. So that's, that's a very high number. It equates to about 65, over 65,000 people. And one in four children in our county are food insecure. So we know there's a, there's a problem, but we also know there's a solution. In our county, we have six universities. It's a very populated county. Our university, Malone University, uh, University of Mount Union, Walsh University, Kent State, Stark, Ashland University, a branch, and then we have uh, Stark State, which is a very large, successful two-year tech school, which really comes into play for some of the students who are first-generation college students to be able to to get that, that good, sound beginning. And we have 17 school districts, which is over 60,000 students. We have 12 locals and five cities. So we have a lot of schools and different profiles of schools to be able to draw from for the activities and the the resources. And so uh, we do have, countless resources, we know that. We have these wonderful university resources. We have an extremely strong business and organizational interest in the education of our youth. Just last week, our uh, repository, our Kent newspaper celebrated its 200th birthday. So we have a rich history of, involvement in the community and a connection to the community. And we're also very, very fortunate to have dedicated foundational support. I listed some of the foundations, but I want to, uh, the, the first one I mentioned, the Stark Community Foundation, I happen to be on the board, and I've been on the board for about eight years. And this is kind of shows you the sign of the times. Our, um, Assets are over 215 million. It's a very successful foundation, which obviously we are very thrilled that many people in the community want to help in the community. But they, um, as I started to mention, eight years ago when I started, uh, we were giving money to the arts and to the ballet and to the orchestra. And those are the people that were asking for money. well, the the tide has definitely turned because over the last number of years, we have found that we um, are are giving our money to the desperate, desperately uh, those that are desperately in need, whether it's food, whether it's shelter, we have uh, a homeless shelter for men. We have over 50 men in that homeless shelter. Uh, we give m- uh, money for l- free legal advice. So the, the foundation is really trying to find out what is needed in the community. And one of the things that's very exciting, uh, we have the, the foundation used some of their funding to um, have a, we have a um, food scarcity initiative, and they invited all kinds of people in the community um, nonprofits um, farmers uh, um, food kitchens uh, giveaway programs all the people that deal with food in any capacity and brought them all together and talked about how can we how can we work together how can we partner how can we make um, make it easier to know what is going on so we don't duplicate uh, our our uh, our forces and our interest, and because we're in a concentrated geographic area, it, it just makes so much sense. Well, when they did this survey and they did this information, they realized there were a lot of things that were going on that could be done so much more seamlessly if we worked together. So, uh, the Stark Community Foundation kind of put their um, money where their mouth was, and they have offered grants, which are going to be due in the next couple weeks. Uh, the next couple months, and they're giving up to $100,000 for groups to partner together. And my husband happens to be on the Farm Bureau, is very active in the Farm Bureau, and they're very excited about uh, working with local farmers to let churches and nonprofits uh, have an area of land to garden and to have produce that can be given to those in need. And that's just one of the many initiatives. We're working on one, our university is working on one with the local schools to do an educational program, particularly for early childhood uh, children and their parents. And um, we have wonderful curriculum. One of the the pieces, if you're not familiar with it, Farm, Land, and People, all the curriculum is written, and it, it talks about this partnership between the land and people and, and food, and what we can do to educate uh, young people and families, the importance of eating healthy food. I know people with poverty sometimes don't have that luxury, but how can we help them make dis- good decisions, and how can we come up with recipes and ideas that, that will uh, support what they're doing to, to make it better for their families? And so that example of this wonderful uh, securi- insecurity Food Insecurity Initiative, if you're interested in finding out more about that and what the grant looks like, um, if you just go to Stark Community Foundation, Canton, Ohio, uh, you can look on the website and see all the particulars. But we're very, very excited, and there's a real buzz in our community that uh, people are really working together, and it's very exciting to see that. So, as I mentioned, you know, our needs, uh, we have a lot of things to do to make changes in our community, but the networking, knowing what's going on with these agencies so that we uh, are are doing what we need to to be sure we're meeting the goals. The connectivity, like I said, we don't want to duplicate our services, so that initiative was a good way of getting everybody kind of on the same plane to talk about it. Capitalizing on the culture of the whole community, knowing the strengths in different areas knowing how to utilize them, knowing where the leadership is. All those things are so important. And then educating the community on understanding the issues of poverty. You know, sometime I I happened to, um, I was invited to to speak to a a very large church and to a Sunday school class, and it was so interesting because uh, some of the, the people in the group, uh, had no idea that we had the poverty we do. They kind of live in their own world and live in the very, you know, affluent area of town, and they were stunned when they heard the statistics, and they were stunned at some of the needs, and they wanted to get get involved. But unless they know what's going on, they're, they're not going to be able to get involved. So how can we partner to assist K-12 schools as they, as we can benefit both the university students and on our staff? Uh, we have done, as I mentioned, quite a few things. Uh, some of these things on this slide are things that you probably, if you work at the college level or you work in the K-12 arena, you probably, these are, these are not novel or new. Uh, student teaching gets people in, you know, gets them from the college into the K-12 uh, area. Field experience, we do college and uni- university visits by our high school students. There's local tutoring and there's volunteerism. So those are just some of the ways that we're making a connection and starting to build those relationships. But we have found that there's many, many wonderful grants at the federal level, state level, and local level. And I wanted to just share some of these with you that we have done just as an example. Um, I know that in your exploring you can find things that would fit your needs and uh, your uh, plans, but these are just some of the ones that that we have used that have been extremely successful for us. Uh, back in 2007, we received uh, a federal grant through the Ohio Board of Regents, called Im- "Improving Teacher Quality," and this was for low-income demographics. And as you can see there, we went from 79,000 to 115,000 a year to work with a very specific audience. We felt that the early childhood Children and uh, teachers in the low income schools really needed to have a strong foundation. And so uh, we were able to have summer classes for them on our campus. Um, it, it was such a success that the teachers just wanted more, wanted more. The grant only allowed them to go through it uh, once. But when we kind of came to an end, one of our faculty members that was very involved went on sabbatical, and there were just things that happened. But they just begged for, for more. And so we continued our Sunbeams grant with something we call themes, and so we've continued these um, professional development sessions for our area teachers. And we provide them, through the grant, we were able to provide them with wonderful materials. A lot of them came from um, the Lawrence Hall of Science at Berkeley, uh, very hands-on, minds-on kinds of activities, so we would provide them with the books and a lot of the, um, uh, both consumables and non-consumables, and we tried to make it, particularly for the poverty schools, that there was things that would not be expensive for them to sustain it, and uh, it was very exciting, and the teachers couldn't wait. And you know, as you, many of you that are teachers, know it, it is like I said uh, right now in our educational system, it's a, it's a very stressful, challenging place to be. But it was amazing, the, ki- the teachers would come in in the summer and they'd be so disillusioned and so upset about how things were going, and by the end of the two weeks, they couldn't wait for summer to be over and get back into their classrooms because they had so many wonderful tools to be able to, to take back. Another um, national professional development grant, uh, this is one that we partnered with at the University of Akron, which is about 30 miles north of us. It's a $2 million grant for five years. It's called Project Achieve, and it's access to curriculum and high-quality instruction for educators valuing English language learners. And uh, we have found this particular grant's RFP wanted um, us to find students, particularly in the rural areas, where a teacher might have a Vietnamese child, but no support in their district. They don't have very many ELL uh, children, Uh, they don't have support, they don't have a program, and so that teacher is just kind of on their own having to figure it out. So this is really a wonderful grant that invites teachers that have ELL students in their classroom to be able to get their TESOL endorsement, which is teaching uh, English as a second language, and also to learn about Uh, the cultural needs and the information that will help them not only with the child but help them with the family and help them with with what their needs would be, particularly if that family is very isolated. And it has been a huge success where I think it's the third or fourth year now and we've had a lot of teachers go through the program and kind of the next step now that we've um, educated a lot of these teachers, we want to use them to offer professional development to their colleagues. So that's going to be really exciting to see the kind of that trickle-down effect and give more people this opportunity, which should reach many, many students. Some of our international connections. Um, <clears throat> we have some of our higher ed representatives that serve on an international studies group. Um, actually, this this is a international. Um, Program through Asia Society, the the school uh, received a large grant, and it's been very exciting because we now <clears throat> work with the high school to get translators. <coughs> excuse me, translators for families that move in. Um, as a matter of fact, I got an email from one of the uh, the high school uh, teachers saying that they needed um, some very specific. Um, native language speakers for testing week that they really need, and so we were able to provide those for them through our university contacts. So another wonderful way to partner. Another way is service learning with faculty and students sharing experiences with their with the schools. Uh, at our university, it's a very important component of the education of our students. They have to have some type of service learning during their four-year experience, and many of them opt to go overseas. Um, I took a group to Zimbabwe. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But uh, what a wonderful opportunity for students to see um, what others are doing in in other countries, and uh, then bringing that back and sharing it with students. They make wonderful speakers for, especially um, our more poverty school districts, where some of those children may never get the opportunity to travel abroad. But we can bring the world to their classroom, and of course. Uh, uh, college-level students are very eager to share those experiences. State department grants, uh, we've we've, uh, gotten some wonderful environmental study grants. I'll tell you about one of those a little bit later. Physical education programs, we have exchanges for students and teachers. uh, Again, with these wonderful international partnerships. And the university can provide grant writing skills, leadership, and the schools provide homestays and school involvement. So again, just like bringing uh, artifacts from the world and speakers that have traveled to other places, we can also bring in natives of other countries, people that want to share their culture with our students. And it just broadens their horizons so much. So it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, we also get local grant support, and we sometimes combine that with professional development. Uh, since um, I've been here at, at my university, we started something called lit ce- Celebrations, literacy celebrations, and from 2006 to this year, we have one April 18th, and we bring in children's book authors or illustrators to share their work, and we invite area educators, teachers, librarians, art teachers to participate. And we get local support to do this so that we can um, afford to to make it a very nice event and bring people in from different areas of the country. Um, if I don't know if you're familiar with Alan Say's uh, work, beautiful, beautiful illustrator, and Stephen Kellogg, very prolific writer. Uh, they came the first year, and I'll tell you more about Alan Say in a little bit about uh, a, an offshoot we did. Um, Some Ohio natives, um, Christopher and Jeanette Canyon, who are both illustrators, Um, Christopher was commissioned by the John Denver estate to put John Denver's music to books, Take Me Home, Country Roads, and Sunshine on My Shoulders. So he would play the guitar and sing, and just some wonderful opportunities for the teachers to take these things back to their students. Uh, Jerry Pallotta from uh, Massachusetts. He uh, does many many things with early childhood books, ABC books, one two three books. Wonderful, uh, charismatic uh, speaker. Uh, many of you may may know of the Amelia Bedelia books. Um, Herman Parish uh, shared with us his expertise and ways that he could uh, involve st- uh, teachers. And and when when Herman came, we made. Um, we made connections with some of our high schools that he would go in and speak to uh, writing, creative writing classes, and to students who wanted to be writers, who wanted to be illustrators. And it was so exciting to see uh, see these kids just, you know, turn on with all the things he was talking about and all the the great opportunities in those in that field for uh, vocations and and careers. Uh, Denise Fleming, another Ohio um, artist, um, beautiful work beautiful um, books and stories, many of them with rhyme. Um, David Wiesner, who has been a Caldecott winner for, I think, four of his books. Um, Just an outstanding uh, speaker and and, uh, illustrator. And um, E.B. Lewis from the East Coast, also a wonderful wonderful guest. Uh, Our Canton City has a very large um, African American population, and we took him into the schools, and we had teachers come out, and again, the kids were just, just just admired his work and admired him as a person, and uh, he was very inspirational. And last year, we had Will Hildenbrand, who is also an Ohio author, and again, we involved him with things in our community as well as speaking to our teachers and professional development. And a grant that we got from a local art program, I mentioned I was going to say something more about Alan Say, uh, one of his books called The by Man is a storytelling, um, a little theater. And uh, we got $3,000. We were able to go to three schools, three area school districts in the middle school. And we, uh, with, with working with the teachers, they allowed their students to create their own stories, illustrate them, and then take, we bought through the grant, we bought each of the schools a theater, and then those middle school teachers went to the primary schools and shared their stories. And so it was a Japanese art of storytelling. So it brought in so many things, letting these students have this opportunity to um, to talk to younger children, talk about this particular art form and also, of course, the, the wonderful creativity of storytelling. So a wonderful way to partner and connect. Uh, the same type of thing we did when Denise Fleming came. We had three uh, area schools, and over 600 kindergarten students uh, were able to learn about her work, and one of them was an inner city that didn't have any opportunities for this type of thing. And when Denise came, we, they, had, they had done a lot of the work uh, background uh, with their teachers before Denise came, so she visited their schools and looked at their artwork, so that was very exciting to be able to kind of piggyback off of what we were doing here on campus. The same thing with E.B. Lewis. Uh, we had two um, school districts. Over 800 elementary students were involved. And, again, he was such an inspiration, especially to the young uh, black boys. They just, they just admired him so much and uh, were very excited about what, what he um, told them and shared with them. Another activity that we opened to the public through a grant, and we really encouraged um, the inner-city kids and their families to come out, it was called Arts in the Orchard, and uh, the kids were able to come out and listen to music and make things and walk through nature, and we had cameras that they could use, and they took pictures of, of things in nature, and then we shared all of those things. So it was a wonderful, wonderful experience for them and something we want to continue. Another local um, funding um, place, Dominion Gas, and uh, some of you are from states that they that you could um, you could apply for one of these grants. Uh, This year, we received twenty thousand dollars to implement an initiative that we call LEAP, Learning of Earth's Absolute Potential, and it was really uh, very successful. We were very excited about it. Uh, Our students. Our pre-service students uh, went out to a farm and got, well, I'll go to the next slide here I'll tell you a little bit more about how they, we had four areas that they learned about, geology, aquatics, crop culture, and forestry, and the the, uh, students were put into smaller groups and they were charged with learning very specific objectives that they were going to teach the rest of their uh, peers, so they couldn't just have a little, fun field, uh, field trip day, they really had to concentrate on what they were learning so they could come back and teach it. And so they did that. Uh, here's our students um, riding around and you can see some of the, the activities. Uh, we, our grant helped purchase an old bus that we made into a lab. And then you can see the bottom right picture, they're um, doing their presentations. And uh, then after they shared with their peers, the next step of this program is now that they have this expertise in these areas, uh, we have fourth and fifth and sixth graders from one of our poorest city schools who sadly their school is closing this year, uh, but they are going to uh, be coming to the farm and this, the college students will be working with them and sharing these things with them and giving them an opportunity. The the woman I'm working with in, um, Canton City uh, said that a lot of these children have never been out of their neighborhood. So we're very excited about this partnering that we're doing with them. Some of the other things that we're doing that are a little more more academic, uh, we have something called the Canton Early College High School. And it's really designed for high school students in in the city area to have access to college coursework and readiness. So they start doing early college while they're in high school. And of course, one of the beauties of that is that many of these uh, young people are first generation college bound. Uh, young people, and so they don't necessarily have the resources um, from their their, uh, parents or grandparents having been to school. And so they really need that direction. So it's really designed to serve those students normally underrepresented in higher ed, you know, racial, ethnic, low income, first generation, and English language learners. And it's a very, very successful program. And, and sometimes, and I mentioned earlier that Stark State is a very successful tech, two-year tech school. And, but it also, you can get an associate's degree to move on to a four-year college. So for those students that really aspire to go on, they can do that. Other students might get a technical career in two years that, that they're very proud of and that they know they'll have a career in. So that's been a, a very um, important community activity. Uh, Some of the other things that we do academically and financially, uh, college opportunity credits and dual credit. Star County school districts um, have this um, college opportunity where some of the courses they take in the high school count for college. Uh, Another great incentive to get kids to go to college because uh, if they graduate from high school with four or five credits already, it's going to help them financially and they're they're not going to be as fearful of if they can be successful at the college level. And you think, <clears throat> excuse me, you think, why would the the area colleges want to do that? They're going to get less money because they're already taking some of these classes. But it's a win-win because that might have been a student who would have never have, have considered college without that little jump start and somebody really caring about their, their future. So uh, it, it also has been very successful. A couple other special programs that we host on the campus to partner, uh, one is the Simulated Model UN where our social studies professors work with area high school teachers and bring students to campus to do a little simulated model UN, and we actually have a called Silk Auditorium, it looks like a little Model UN. It's kind of curved, and the kids the kids love it. And, uh, and again, for some of those students that come on our campus, they've never been on a college campus, or they've never had this kind of opportunity. And so it's been very successful. We also host uh, the Power of the Pen. Some of you may be familiar with that. It's a creative writing program for um, 7th and 8th graders. And again, it's a win-win, because a lot of these students haven't been on our campus. Um, I I was very pleased uh, the first couple years I kind of I uh, found people to do the judging for them, but then I got the bright idea of asking the experts, so uh, I called one of the professors in the creative, creative writing um, department, and ever since, he's had six or seven of his students volunteer to do the judging. And uh, what better people to judge? And they also give out the awards, which is really special for the seventh and eighth graders. And again, some of these kids, uh, this is one of their first opportunities to, to be, um, really um, awarded for their, for their work. A couple other things we do, we have some campus clubs and organizations, uh, the Free Enterprise Club does a program in the school, it's called iPencil, and it talks about how many people it takes to make one pencil. We see a pencil, we think it's so easy, but when you talk about each component of that pencil, it helps children understand. And also money, uh, even though they're, they're talking about how money is made, they also get a little economics and consumerism in there, which is important. Uh, We have a program for our incoming freshmen called Into the Streets. The first week that they're here on campus, uh, they volunteer in the local neighborhoods and around the schools, whether it be picking up trash and beautification or just meeting people on the streets. It's a really wonderful way for them to learn about our community. Uh, We send out uh, student musicians for concerts. Sometimes some of our athletes help run field days for the schools. Uh, our professors and our staff offer in-services and guest speakers, and uh, we sometimes serve as consultants and online support for our for our area schools. Uh, another activity that's higher ed and K-12, but it's also the whole community. Uh, a mayor's literacy commission was established quite a few years ago, and we have something called One Book, One Community. And each year, uh, a committee selects a book that they think would be um, interesting for everyone in the community, whether it's middle school students, high school students, senior citizens, or or anyone, anyone that that likes to read. And then they have um, planned activities Uh, based on that book. Uh, Chris Billman was, um, grew up, he and his wife grew up in our county. And uh, he's a football player, uh, was a football player. And um, his wife had cancer. So as we shared these things about this particular book, we had sessions about uh, cancer survivors. And we had sessions about athletics and, you know, just all kinds of things that relate to the book. Several of those were local authors. Um, some of them were, were just interest, interesting books. Um, it's, it really brings the community together, and it's a great opportunity again for uh, young people at the middle school and high school um, level to. Inter, interact and mingle with um, older people, which sometimes they don't have that opportunity either, To, to particularly to talk about something of, of great interest to them. Um, last year, the book Wonder uh, about bullying was the book of choice. Um, a year ago, A Secret Gift, it was just an outstanding book, Ted Gupp was a um, um, man whose very quickly, uh, his grandfather uh, lived here in Canton during the Depression, and uh, he was an immigrant and and actually changed his name, and uh, because at that time, people from, from other countries were not well accepted, especially during the Depression, well, he had been very successful, and he had some extra money, and during the Depression, when people had nothing, he decided that he would put a, a little... Uh, anonymous ad in the local paper, the repository, saying that, that he would like to give families money for Christmas, if they would write a letter and write about their need. Well, uh, he did it with a, a fictitious name, uh, but it's a beautiful book uh, about our community, about the history, and uh, people got so excited about it. The, the local um, acting group put together a a play to show some of the scenes. Uh, We had uh, high school students reading it, learning about the history, and really, again, interacting with the community at large, which was a wonderful opportunity. I mentioned before the Into the Streets, which is a program for incoming freshmen, and I also mentioned the service learning. Um, This is, these are some of the students that I took to Zimbabwe in May. We spent uh, two weeks there and uh, helped in in a, School and some of these, one of the girls had never even been on a plane. But these kids, they're they're changed forever to have these experiences, and so again, a wonderful way for them to have an experience like this and then go into the schools and share this with um, students uh, in the local schools. One of our um, nonprofit organizations in the community. It's called Community Harvest, and it was created to collect perishable and prepared food that would otherwise be thrown away at local restaurants and hotels and, and the food industry. And um, so this food is distributed to local food kitchens, shelters, and hot uh, meal programs. And it has been uh, a very wonderful project. Um, we've saved millions of, of uh, of meals to to share with others, uh, we have great support in our community. Another way to partner. Uh, these are some of the the ninety some of, a few of the ninety donors that we have in the area that give us food, like Panera Bread. At the end of every day, gives us whatever food b- bread they have left over, and uh, we raise money in the um, in the. Uh, community harvest group raises money to pay for vans, and we have a schedule, and they'll take this food, perishable food, to places of need, and right now we have, I think we're up to 35, I need to change my slide, but we have um, community-based agencies and soup kitchens, and uh, Refuge of Hope, I mentioned that, is uh, the um, men's homeless shelter, uh, but these are some of the places that we take the food, and we have, uh, we just had our, our, one of our two big annual fundraisers on Tuesday night, it's called Celebrity Cuisine, and we have about, in our restaurant association, again, a great partnership, um, the restaurant association uh, members volunteer to have a booth with, we have a, a wonderful Middle Eastern restaurant called The Desert Inn, and they, they have frog legs, and uh, Milk and Honey is an ice cream store, and they have ice cream. So it's a taste of something from there. Um, from their restaurant, and um, we have local celebrities who help serve. Uh, pers- radio personalities, and the mayor, and presidents of the universities, and superintendents of schools. Again, bringing the community together for the good of the greater community. And um, we, we usually raise between twenty and 25000 with that activity. Um, our, our very enthusiastic executive director was hoping for 40000 this year. I haven't seen any tally yet. But again, a great opportunity for the community to come out and support something that's very worthwhile. So, uh, in summary, just a, a few of the things that, that I shared with you, and I know I went very quickly, but I would love to hear some of the things that you're doing that you can share with the, the whole group. But grant writing is so beneficial for both, and a lot of times um, K-12 teachers just don't have time to write, do the grant writing, and if the college and the schools can work together, uh, it, it truly is a win-win. Uh, teacher prep programs in the schools. We we really rely on our public schools for our teachers to have good experiences. And um, now with uh, the high stakes teacher evaluations, uh, we knew that there would be a little pushback. Well, I really don't want a student teacher in my classroom when I'm the one that's being held accountable for the children's learning. So we're really trying to educate them to understand the importance of co-teaching, that no, we're not asking you to give up your class to somebody else. We're asking you to have another set of of hands and eyes to help you. And that's been very, very well received. And it's a really wonderful way for for our young new teachers to learn because they're you know, it, in the old day, a lot of times, uh, when a student teacher would come in, the, the teacher would go out and go to the lounge or something. But this way, they're working side by side, and it's just a really great benefit for all the students. Uh, as I mentioned, a lot of great programs that we can host on campus. When we do our lit celebration, like I say, we take these authors into the schools, and we let the schools benefit from this opportunity. Um, we go into the local schools for many different programs and ideas. I mentioned the early college high school and the dual credit, a good way to get kids that might not have that opportunity to get a little jump start, and and those teachers truly encourage them to think about their future and think about, you know, encourage them that they can do it. And uh, we've seen that it's it's really, um, the numbers have just really grown uh, from uh, the students that used to go to college that do now. Community and school connections, of course, I mentioned some of the other things we do, like the community harvest and um, the one book, the one book community where all of the, the um, community is brought together, so any of those, those kinds of activities. And it shows the community that these partnerships are very important. And then, of course, just building relationships of academic excellence and trust and reciprocity. Reciprocity is so important for us to, to be able to, uh, to share for the common good of the community. So, I feel like I went very, very fast, but I wanted to leave a few minutes if people have some things.
0: Uh, Trisha asks, I'm from Florida, what advice would you give to local school districts on how to reach out, develop, and maintain partnerships with a local college or university?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, from my experience, you have to find a person who is kind of a like mind. <laughs> somebody who who believes like you do, that this is important, the partnering. And I, I think the best way to do that, if you have any anyone that knows people at the university, very quickly they'll probably say, oh, this is a great person to call, or that's a great person to call. I think you need to find, hook up with the right person. And when you get the right person, You know, the sky's the limit. Um, I think just calling and inquiring, you might not get very far, but I would do a little research. And, you know, even going to the university website and looking to see whose name you see popping up in some of these philanthropic um, activities, and um, it it seems to be very active in community things. Mm but uh i I think it's very doable, and I think a lot of times the universities have the same problem they don't know who to contact in the public get arena, so you know if you approach them it it just might take off, and especially if you approach them with something pretty specific, I think that really helps yeah, as well
0: that's true i we mean, We talk about how important relationships are in all aspects of the, of the work and I think it's another situation where the relationship there is really important in, in opening the doors. Um, so a question of mine, I, I wasn't expecting as much. It seemed like the sort of the repeating thread through a lot of your slides were grants. It seems like you've had great, great, great success at Malone, um, sort of applying for and receiving grants. Uh, and I think uh, you mentioned specifically that um, uh-huh. you know, in K-12... You know, Perhaps people don't have time to be looking for it and, and, and writing proposals for those grants. But is, do you have any sort of tips for where to start? Um, assuming someone was saying, hey, I've got this thing I want to do. Um, you know, Is there a place to go? Is there maybe a, a position at a local university that you might reach out to first? You know, I'm, I'm sort of a layman here, so I'll profess my ignorance a little bit. But what would you suggest as, uh-huh. as a starting point?
1: Okay, well... Okay, there's there's a lot of ways. I think, one, you really want to tap into your local resources, because uh, they know you, I mean, they know your school, they know your your situation, and so that's one place to start. You can find lots of things online, it's a little overwhelming, so you want to be sure and I could do a whole session on grant writing, but you you really want to be sure that what you want fits what the grant writer wants to give. I, you know, I think sometimes people it's kind of like, what's first the chicken or the egg? Do I, I want money or I want something? Do I do I um, find somebody that, who's going to fund my? my idea, or do I find a funder and then make my idea fit what they want? And so that's a fine line. You want to really be passionate about what you're doing. As a matter of fact, I'm working on a grant right now that, um, and this is another good source. I, my, one of my, my future, my, my, um, Old lives was I was a K twelve um, media specialist and very early in my career, but it really taught me to look at everything that comes through the mail on my, my desk. Even if I look at it quickly, the other day I um, I got a NSTA, the National Science Teachers uh, Bulletin, and there they had this wonderful page of of grants that you can apply for, and uh, there was one that just really. Um, uh, really hit me because I mentioned this LEAP activity that we did that was so successful. And that was for college and, you know, upper elementary. Well, this particular grant said that they wanted early childhood to, uh, they, their their um, mission was something innovative that hadn't been done before, but that would really be an, sound educationally. So we're putting together, with, we're going to call it um, Fort's Build is us see, forts build foundations, and we're going to um, not only for, this is for K, K2 through fourth graders, and we're going to have the older children build forts in the woods, and we're going to have the younger children, the clubhouses are already built, but they'll be making things for their clubhouses. But we're going to be using all the, the early STEM, you know, science, technology, math, art, and uh, also the social interaction. They're going to build forts, they're going to build dams, they're going to build bridges, and do this in little cooperative groups. And if we get the grant, the, t- the students will be able to come uh, free. And so, and again, for the inner city kids, that would be something really exciting for them, because many of them haven't been out of the city to go out on a farm. So, so we're working on that grant, but it's just, it was a little blurb about a paragraph and I just, it caught my eye and I thought, what the heck, I'll try for it. And another thing, a lot of grants now are completely online. So um, it takes a little time, but I think one of the biggest keys is try and don't be discouraged if you don't get your first two or three and then all of a sudden, you will you'll get one that, you know, will be very exciting and then you just want to quit. You just want to get another, another, another. But it's a, a wonderful, wonderful way to fund some of these things, particularly with schools that don't. Have money. So, and if anybody wants to um, send an idea to me or tell me what their idea is, I might be able to give them some ideas of of where they might look for funding.
0: That's interesting. So, so I I like the idea of either identifying the need first and looking for grants to apply to your need, or identifying the grant and trying to write. Proposal to tailor to that grant. Um, so I have a selfish question. Um, I have I'm in a point in my life where a lot of my friends are having kids, and I noticed you had a, a big section of your of your uh, slides were were various sort of early childhood and, and, and authors. And I wonder if you have a favorite early childhood book that you might like to share with me.
1: Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, that's oh, that's a, that's a to- I love children's literature. I love children's books. Um, one one of the one book that always stands out to me. It's um, by um, marjorie Pre, um, pressman Priceman, and it's called "How to Bake an apple Pie and See the world and it's just a wonderful book that um it's it's entertaining it it takes the child to different countries in the world it's just a it's a really neat book probably i don't know first second grade sure. level um i I'm kind of old i'm I'm kind of old school I love um Robert McCluskey, you know blueberries for Sal and um uh, mike mulligan and um uh, make Way for Ducklings, some of the old classic books I think kids love just as much today as, as they did in the past. And those authors that we invited in, uh, obviously, I pick authors that I really love their work, and so those are also some of my, my favorites as cool. well. Thank you for that.
0: Thanks, folks. and Thanks, Nancy. Uh, thank you. This has been an AHA Process webinar podcast. Visit ahaprocess.com for more. free music courtesy of sound.com.